This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. Delighted to present part two of our interview with multiple Group 1 winning Victorian trainer Colin Little. A mare called Soft Sand is worth a mention. You were absolutely devastated in November of 2012 when Connections decided to sell her after she'd won four races, including a listed at Caulfield, and she was beaten only a whisker in the Group 1 Maya Classic. Funny thing, racing, you needn't have worried. She never won again. Yes, well, um, you know, when I think of the horses I've had over the years, and I've been lucky enough to have a few, she's one of the best. She's not up with El Segundo, but I always thought that she could have been, you know, right up there and second to him. But um, she was by Dan Silly, who's a champion stallion in Europe. He doesn't shuttle, but for some reason she was presented in Sydney Easter Sale and uh, had a little bit of a an issue with an X-ray, and I was able to buy her for what I thought was pretty reasonable money, 140000 saying she was by an absolute champion stallion. Mm. And from day one, she stood up, terribly good, precocious, tough, hardy filly. Ollie won the maiden on her early, easily, and she went through uh, her classes and eventually won, started to race as a three-rod. Was a bit unlucky in the Angus Almanasco, but won the Kevin Hayes at Caulfield. And she was a really good filly and would only get better with a bit more ground and a bit more time. Mm. Um, anyway, we took her to uh, Flemington and uh, ran her in the mire and, um, Horse of uh, Guy Walters, a great friend of Guy Walters, was um, just beat me an inch. Um, and we were looking, you know, that was just being beaten at an inch in the group one. And we we're really looking forward to going a bit further. And, you know, maybe she might be pretty good this thing, especially if we can get her out to 2,000 metres. But I never saw her again. The owner uh, <laughs> sold her to uh, Arrowfield, and that was the end of it. You know, it was a mm. surprise and terribly disappointing. And uh, but anyway, she left, and I'm not sure what happened after that. But she lost a bit of form and was retired. And she's had a checkered career uh, yeah. as a broodmare. Uh, Mick Price has one out of her, but I don't think it's any well better. And mm. yeah, just I'm not sure, but. Um, I, I had her in the highest regard. Mm. Just trying to think of the one of Guy Walters that beat her in the Group One. Was it appearance? Would it be al- altitude, attitude, altitude, something like that. Uh, yeah, started with an A. Might have was, wasn't appearance. Appearance, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. it went on and won several Group Ones later. Oh, good mare, very won a lot of prize money. Yes, mm. yes, I think it was appearance. You've proven time and time again that you're very good with stayers. Now, Ista Kareem had won half a dozen races in South Australia when you got him to train. In fact, he'd had about 35 runs all up. One of them was a third in an Adelaide Cup, admittedly, but you wouldn't have been expecting too much at that stage of his career. Um, well, the story goes that uh, his trainer, Jeremy Gask, in Adelaide, had decided to relocate and went to England, and I think he became a private trainer in England. And the owner, Philip Nemi, stayed at Lord Lodge, a bed and breakfast. And I'm not sure if he was sussing me out or it just happened that way. But he was looking for a trainer for his horse. And anyway, then he met up with Jackie. And the next thing I knew, I had a horse to train. Mm. 
Well, I never even met him, but Jackie just said, I've got you a horse. And she got hold of uh, Philip Nemi's wrist and put it up his back, and the next minute the horse was in my stable. He was an unusual horse, very good staying horse, but he couldn't cope with hot weather. Mm. So if it was a hot day, he'd run last. Uh, but we were lucky a few times. He, uh, I think he won a Launceston Cup when it was uh, quite cold and he went to Sydney in cold, miserable, wet day and he was able to win a, a Sydney Cup. So he's a pretty good horse on his day, but, um, you know, he did run in a Melbourne Cup. But it was a hot day and he just tailed off, I think, but yeah. unusual horse. But Was he a victim honest, of the Thumps Coal, was he? He was yes, a, he got yeah. a condition, as soon as it was hot, he got a condition of the thumps where you just see the diaphragm of the horse thumping away and, um, yeah. you know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem to be too detrimental but uh, long-term, but on the day they don't perform well and they have some electrolytes the next day to recoup and they seem yeah. as good as gold, but um, he just was hopeless on a hot day. It's like watching a human with violent hiccups. It's the strangest thing. Yes, it is. It, uh, and it's very difficult to control. The vets don't seem to have a, have a, a solution for it. It's, um, and I, I'm not quite sure. I've only had one or two in my life, but I think it's related to hot weather. But it certainly was the case in Karim's case. He had a total of 70 race starts. Uh, Ister Karim, he won a dozen with a dozen placings. He won 1.1 million. Must have been a sound old boy, was he? He was, and he was retired sound. Um, he's, uh, he, you know, he's got a very good home. Uh, the owner uh, wanted to field all the inquiries for him when, when we announced he'd be retiring, and, you know, I think he even went up to the property that the girl had eventually finished up with him and checked out the property before he'd, <laughs> he'd give him to this girl. So I'm sure he's got a very good home. Another second-hand horse you took to Group 1 level was Blue Tigeroo. He was a chestnut gelding. He was by Encounter. You won six races with him before stepping up to Group Company. You took him to Hobart for the Cup, and Damien Oliver went across Bass Strait to ride him. That's right. I had two runners in, the, in that Hobart Cup, a um, pretty handy horse called Ruba John, um, and Blue Tiger Rude, great friend of mine, Danny Brereton, rode Rubiton, and I think he drew something like 12 or 13, but Danny had him third or fourth on the fence when they went round the first turn. It was a, just a fabulous ride, but unfortunately for Danny, you know, the other horse was a superior horse, and we ran first and second in the race, but Blue Tiger Rude, uh, despite Danny's, you know, fantastic ride, Blue Tiger Roo was too good. And he'd been a horse that uh, a friend of mine, Kenny Newman, his son-in-law, uh, owned the horse and the trainer had decided uh, at the time to relocate to Queensland. So they were looking for a trainer and Kenny, uh, trainer of Hariba, had retired and he recommended me. So the horse came down here and we took him to Warrnambool one day and I thought he would win, but the bookies put up six to four and I thought, gee, that's, that's unders for this horse, but uh, I always underrated the horse and he won easily and we kept going through our classes and then uh, it wasn't long before the BMW, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, nominated and uh, the owner suggested 
we'd pay the $50,000 or they'd pay the $50,000 to put him in the race. And, of course, I had El Segundo at the same time and I, I think because of El Segundo I always underrated Blue Tiger Roo but mm. the owners were very bullish and they paid the $50,000 and we went up there with and another fantastic ride for Molly. I don't think he hardly went round a horse in the race and he was able to win a pretty good race. Mm. Later on, you won the Canberra Cup with him. I think that was his last win, and the jockey was Nash Rawilla. Yeah, well, Canberra's a little bit off the radar for us, but um, uh, Iska Krim went round in that race, but a hot day, so he obviously ran down the track, and uh, Blue Tiger was able to win. Uh, I just forget the, uh, why Nash was on it, but, um, you know, um, he was probably at the meeting where a lot of other jockeys weren't. So, mm. yeah, he was uh, he was good. He won pretty nicely that day. and I think he was a pretty good horse. And But I because El Segundo was sort of such a highlight of the stable, we sort of didn't look down on him, but we didn't give him the kudos that he deserved. And I, I think the owners were told to tell me that um, I underrated the horse. Mm. Breeding aficionados were scratching their heads when Blue Tiger Roo won a BMW. He was by Encounter, who was by Terse, a Golden Slipper winner, and there's no doubt Encounter should have won a Golden Slipper himself one year. Yes, I was there that day. I stayed with Clary that week. I must have had a horse up there, and I, I distinctly remember <laughs> that day going home and sitting in the lounge room at Clary's, and Clary looked at me and said, don't tell me it should have won. <laughs> I now almost burst out in tears and said, oh, yeah. it should have won. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty upset about that. He's, in fact, he still is if, if you bring the subject up. <laughs> now, Cole, what about Texton Hurley? She was a good mare for the stable. Only had 19 starts, won five of them. You won five races with this girl, four in town, including the Group 2 Sunline Stakes at Mooney Valley. Finished up in Adelaide, didn't she? Yeah, well, the great trainer in Adelaide, Lenny Smith, uh, I'd known Lenny and I used to stay with him. And his daughter, Marilyn, trains. Um, Lenny is leftist, but um, his daughter trains. And uh, she had Texton Hurley at the breaking in stage in Melbourne. And uh, she rang me and said, the, the breakers rang me and she said, can't keep this horse in the barriers. It jumps out the top of the barriers. Mm. And did I know anyone that could help her? And I did. I, I knew a, a chap down at Cranbourne who was fantastic with uh, with barrier horses, and um, his name's Jared Gilmore. So I recommended that the horse goes down there, and anyway, it spent some time down at Jared. And he he got it going, but he said, like, it's a full Monty, it's a barrier blanket, and it's earmuffs and everything, mm. every bit of gear you can think about. Yeah. And uh, he said, I've done all I can. I think it'll be okay. And uh, Marilyn said, oh, well, if the, you know, maybe you should take it there um, and give it a go, seeing it's not far from where it's being broken in. So we took the horse. and She was iffy in the barriers for a while, but Jared had done a great job. And uh, she was a good, tough mare and just kept improving and uh, eventually won a decent race at Mooney Valley. I think it might have been the Sunline. You've got a pretty good three-year-old cult in the stable by the name of Vacillator. He's already the winner of two races at Flemington. He's Group 1 placed. Tell me firstly how this ownership syndicate was formulated. <laughs> it's a story in itself. 
Well, that's true. Uh, I bought Vacillator in New Zealand for $25,000. He he was by an obscure stallion called Sakinto at the time. Sakinto is again by Dan Silly, the same as uh, Soft Sand. And I had a real feel for this stallion. I think he's one of the best in the world. And uh, there was this little stallion called Sakinto that was standing in the bottom of the South Island, so it suited me. Uh, that sort of uh, money, twenty five thousand to buy a yearling, it was out of a high chaparral mare. Mm. And I watched him, and he was a laid back customer, and he was dragging himself around. And um, I don't even think the stud thought much of him. But anyway, I took a bit of a risk and uh, bought him, thinking no hope of selling him; he'll, he'll be mine. Mm. But I was in Vietnam with my great friend Rod Fitzroy and he'd had a filly by that stallion called Navaggio and mm. for whatever reason, uh, she'd won at Flemington but then she did exactly the same as Chautauqua. She just wouldn't come out of the barriers. Ah, uh, smart. <laughs> yeah, she's not upset, she's not frightened, she just stood there and she just wouldn't come out. And we tried everything for six months but we, as the same as Chautauqua, we couldn't get her to come out. So she was sold as a broodmare. Mm. But I was in New Zealand, uh, sorry, in Vietnam with a dozen blokes and my great friend Rod Fitzroy's always tried to help me out and he, he said, oh, I see you bought a, a Sakinto in New Zealand. These blokes will take a share and everyone sort of <laughs> looked down at the table. Oh, not another horse. But Rod rounded them all up and they took a share in, in this horse and uh, – that's Vacillator, and you know he's been a bit of fun for them. He's uh, it's a pretty good horse. Uh, I backed him in a maiden at, uh, at Ballarat, and uh, I think he was terribly disappointing. He ran about fifth, but I think in hindsight it was on pace inside track, and he looked one paced out wide. And of course, the horse that won was first starter. I think it's Hawks. Hawksburn, Hawkspur, oh, Hawkspur, Chris Waller, yeah, yeah, no, um, Darren Weir at the time, ah, oh, did he? Yeah, and he's just been sold to Hong Kong for a lot of money. He ran second in the Australian Guineas that horse, mm. but anyway, uh, I was terribly disappointed in him. But when I reviewed the meeting, it looked like there was a lot of bias to the inside. So we, I took him to Flemington the next start, and I said to them, "Look, I don't know if this horse can win, but..." I'm dismissing his previous start, and I'm telling you this is a pretty good horse. Mm. And anyway, uh, he was able to win at 100 to 1, (laughs) (laughs) having not even won a place in a maiden, but uh, he steamed Mm. down the outside and won quite easily, and he was able to back up a few weeks later and repeat it. Yeah, he finished up running second to the Autumn Sun in the Caulfield Guineas, beaten four and a half lengths admittedly, but that was the day the Autumn Sun went off the planet. And you were very unlucky to bump into him on that particular day. I don't know that he, he's ever gone better than that, the Autumn Sun. Well, he's a very good horse and he certainly towed us up. But, yeah, we were happy. We set our horse uh, for that race. Uh, we put him away and uh, brought him back in winter and went all through winter with the idea of one race. And we, so we set him for the guineas and it didn't quite come off, but it's not the end of the world to run second to that horse. No. You train a very nice five-year-old called Casio, who's won five from 23 with a heap of placings. He seems to love Sandown. He's won three races there. Where is he, Cole? Have you turned him out? Yes, uh, he's a terrific horse. Like He's not a, a, a group horse, but he just tries. 
his heart out. He loves life. He loves the stable. Everyone loves him. He's got a beautiful head. Everyone calls him pretty boy. <laughs> There's about 16 girls all lined up to get him when he retires. Mm. And uh, he's a real favourite uh, because of his looks, his mannerism, his demeanour around the stable, and he sort of tries so hard. Mm. So he had a lot of racing, and every time we thought, well, that'll be enough for him, and then he'd be bouncing through the week, and mm. we'd have a good look at him, and he'd be bouncing off the track, so we'd give him another one, another one, another one. And eventually he was – I don't think he was tired, but I just said, oh, I'm going to stop him now. So he's mm. having a good break. Uh, he's gone to South Australia for a bit of uh, TLC and a better climate. He'll have a good break. We don't think he's up to spring, so he'll have two or three months in the paddock and miss spring and come back post-spring and go go into our Christmas period. Mm. He's got a year younger half-sister called Pico, who's won two from eight. She's by Bella Spree, and you tell me she's every bit as honest as Casio. Yeah, same deal. Just the uh, same sort of horse. He's a filly, but uh, tries uh, terribly hard. If you run her in the right race, if she doesn't win, she'll run second. It's a great family, actually. We've had quite a few out of the the mare. Um, Miss Soft Hands is another one out of the mare, that multiple Metropolitan winner. Mm. And now uh, Miss Soft Hands is retired and she's in fold to Toronado. So the family... Uh, continues, uh, great client, uh, lives in Hong Kong, uh, owns them all, and uh, he was very happy to breed, you know, five or six and eventually retire one of them. And mm. So now that uh, is the granddam of uh, this to-be-born uh, Toronado. Mm. And that client's name, Cole? It's Andrew Harcourt. He's been a great client. Uh, he is a Melbourne-based boy that went, to Hong Kong quite some time ago, 15 years ago, and he loves it there, but he still retains an interest in Australian racing. Mm. Now, what about a horse called No Commitment? He was pretty impressive winning a couple at Caulfield and Flemington about a year ago, but we haven't seen him since. (laughs) Well, it looks like I'm breaking all these horses down because there's another horse with a tendon. Terribly tough horse. it looked like he was beaten two or three times, came back and won by a nostril, really puts in. Unfortunately, one day popped up with a bowed tendon and he's in the same paddock as uh, Big Sur having, you know, probably a year off and we're very hopeful of getting that horse back and his tendon is much better than Big Sur. So I'm pretty hopeful of getting him back, but... They are a problem tendons and you never know what's you know, when you're gonna get one. The horse seems terribly sound one day and they must just put their foot in down in a little you know Yep, a twist hole or something and next thing you know you've got a bow tendon. It only takes a little twist or a wrench and you're in trouble. Yeah, well when you see those videos of those horses flying around at you know, sixty kilometres an hour and all their weight is on one leg Part of the stride, it's you know, it's amazing that we really don't get more bow tendons. You've got a pretty useful three year old filly there by the name of Al Campana. She's won three from her last four. Can she win a couple more? Um, yeah, she's she's not a spring horse, but she she's going really well. Um, she was unlucky first up, uh, we thought she would win a thousand at sale, but she 
uh, ran into a horse that's pretty good that finished up winning its next three, including at Flemington. So she was unlucky to run into that, and then she won. And then she won again, and I was uh, having my annual trip to a week in Vietnam with the golfers this year, and I think she was a bit unlucky. She got back way out of her ground um, her next start, and uh, Craig Williams is a bit of a friend of the owner, and mm. <laughs> Craig rang me and said, uh, run her in this race and I'll ride her. So not only is he riding them, he's almost training them too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we took him advice and uh, yeah. went to Sandown, and uh, she was just starting to get a bit of weight in three-year-old fillies races, but <laughs> Craig found a three- and four-year-old where she had a bit of uh, weight relief, and uh, mm. he just jumped to the front and um, was able to control the race, and she won again. So she's still in the stable, yeah. Mm. I think she she looks good, and she might have another one or two and have a break during the spring, and another one would come back, not mm. up to spring, and I don't think many horses can go through winter and uh, have a presence in spring. No. Um, and she's not good enough to do that. But she will keep improving. And maybe if we have a nice preparation in in uh, Christmas period, she may, you know, have a, some presence in the autumn. Yep. It appears that many of your owners are happy to race in your stable colours, gold and black stripes with red sleeves and a red cap. They've become very well known and they're very identifiable. And I think broadcasters love uh, like them. Broadcasters <laughs> love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no great story about them. Uh, my great client and friend, Rod Fitzroy, was racing a horse a long, long, long time ago. And uh, the other fellow owners got together and uh, they designed those colours just for that one horse. But that horse, you know, disappeared and the colours were sitting around here. Um, they weren't owned by anyone, but um, I suppose it was easier for me to put them on a horse in, instead of having the expense of buying a new set. So I started to use them and they just became the stable colours. So there was no great thought in, put into it. Those colours, uh, just before we go on about the colours, Cole, it I think we better just pause to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back afterwards. The 2019 English Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, Four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mare Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au. 
Talking to Colin Little. Those colours, the golden black stripes, red sleeves, have been worn by many brilliant jockeys uh, with whom you've had success over the years. Craig Williams, Damien Oliver, Darren Gauchy, Luke Nolan. And the jockey with whom you had, I think, a very special affiliation. I know you work very closely with Danny Brereton. Yes, Jenny and I were, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to uh, to have Danny. He was a tremendous asset to the stable. He did a lot of work, a lot of riding work, and, uh, you know, I just had tremendous faith in him. I thought we were pretty good uh, together. We had a fair bit of success, and, uh, uh, you know, I, he would tell me how he wanted to ride this horse, and I, I don't think I'd ever questioned him. Mm. He was a very cool jockey, great jockey. But tragedy happened one night at Mooney Valley eight years ago and Danny had a horrific fall and um, he was, uh, you know, touch and go there for a while, I think. He was off to the Austin Hospital, which is a uh, place where they take people with injured spines and Danny has a very compromised spine. Uh, He's done a tremendous amount of rehabilitation himself. He never stops working at it, but he's quite compromised and he can walk and he can drive but uh, he hasn't worked since the accident he, he tries every day uh, does a lot of work every day of his life to make uh, make him uh, walk better or rehabilitate himself um, and he actually gets so uh, very tired because he works so hard but it's a real tragedy uh, great jockey probably coming to the twilight of his, his career and then maybe such a great horseman, maybe even train. I would have been happy to train with Colin Little, Danny Burton together. Mm. But, um, uh, you know, one of those great tragedies, but I suppose it could have been worse in the sense that he can walk. Mm. He rode a lot of winners. I think he won half a dozen group ones. He'd be a very interesting guest on this podcast and I would dearly love to talk to him. Uh, if he feels up to it, Cole, and I might uh, enlist your help here in sounding him out, as we say. Well, Danny has a great racing brain, and um, <laughs> uh, he's a very intelligent bloke and passionate about racing. I think he watches when he has time. He watches racing all all the time now, mm. and I'm sure you'd find him terribly interesting. He's a lovely bloke, and uh, he has some great stories. Uh, not only in Australia, uh, but in Hong Kong too. Mm. You might mention to him uh, the next time you talk to him that I'll be in touch. I'll be on the phone to him as soon as we hang up. Terrific. We've already established that there'll be no more training at Caulfield after 2023, but there is another very ugly rumour persisting that the Sandown racecourse faces extinction. Surely that won't happen. What a venue it is. Two beautiful grass tracks and a wonderful winter venue for Victorian trainers. That's right. That's our greatest fear, John. Uh, Sandown, I think, holds 35 meetings a year. It can do that. It has two race tracks there, basically two tremendous grass tracks, 
great big long straight beautiful uh, barriers every nearly every barrier has a long uh, run to the first turn it's a magnificent facility they don't get a lot of people there but i'm sure people love betting there um but yeah the rumors are terribly concerning that uh, it's a valuable a uh, lot of la- valuable land there but i mean we're just terrified that they they will um get rid of Sandown and try to put an inferior little grass track where the training tracks are at Caulfield inside the existing track. So that that'd be about sixteen hundred meters and you know, you just can't compare with what we have at Sandown and mm. it's worth a lot of money, but you know, selling racetracks worked well for Adelaide, didn't it? And it, it's just uh, it'd be impossible to duplicate again, and it'd be a tremendous loss to the industry if they did lose it. And I, I just don't understand the thinking. I mean, it is worth a lot of money, you know, maybe half a billion, but you know, Corfu would be a rich club. So what? They'd be a rich club without a race, without you know, a fantastic racehorse. This rumour that persists about the possible closure of Sandown have trainers signalled. A protest? Uh, you know, what's the general feeling among trainers? Well, you know, we're thinking about it. Um, uh, you know, trainers are very busy getting on with the day-to-day running of their stable and they tend to, you know, they tend to uh, not think of the bigger picture except if it, you know, was right under their feet in their stable. So I'm sure we have to lobby uh, the industry, you know, to point out the uh, the folly of uh, losing Sandown and maybe I'll get on to our uh, president of the Trainers Association, Robbie Griffiths. I actually rang him last night about it, but he was uh, a bit busy. So Mm. I'd like to try and get something going, maybe a website that people could could, uh, participate in and to show their, uh, their thoughts on Sandown and maybe, you know, their uh, desire to maintain it. You've been called a boutique trainer, meaning you've never trained a big team of horses. What's your preferred number? Well, we don't. Um, Lord Lodge only holds 20 horses, but Lord Lodge is a beautiful old stable. It's been here for 100 years. Uh, has a, one of the last old wooden barns, um, beautiful old barn that's National Trust. We have 20 yards with old, you know, 100-year-old trees uh, protecting the horses from uh, the sun and rain, maybe. Mm. So it's a lovely old place. But 20 has been uh, the maximum number, so we've normally had that. But in the last few years, we've slipped down the totem totem pole a little bit and sort of we've got about 12 or 15 at the moment. Mm. But that's all right. You know, I never had any desire to train more than 20. I'm comfortable with that number. Well, you've done a wonderful job with that boutique stable. You've established a very healthy strike rate and you've provided Australian racing with some lovely horses, uh, with El Segundo right at the top of the list. Kyle, it's been a, a privilege for me to talk to you on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, John. Great fun. Thank you. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The 2019 English-Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. 
The chairman's sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mayors sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mayor Srikandi while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot one, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and broodmares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select Weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au.